If someone else paid for it, would you go skydiving right now? I think skydiving is the ultimate test of our ability to put faith in other people. I mean, like, how much do you trust that the training that you're going to get is going to ensure that you don't go splat after you jump out of the plane? How much faith do you have in the pilot to have maintained the plane, to take off, to not crash you into the ground while they take you to somewhere that you're trusting is safe for you to jump out and land? How much faith do you have in the person who packed that parachute? I mean, I know you checked it while you are on the ground, but once you're up in that plane, it's a whole nother ball game to, to consider, do I trust in this chute and every part of it to ensure that I'm going to land safely? So would you do it? Would you go jump right now? Faith is a commitment to trust or believe in someone or something. But for many of us, having faith in someone is very difficult. And this can happen for all sorts of different reasons. It can be because we've had bad past experiences. People have lied to us. People have cheated us. People have hurt us when we've trusted them. Maybe it's because we've thought something was true and pursued it only to find out that it was all a lie. This is one of the things that many people find challenging about the Christian faith because the way of Jesus requires faith. It requires us to put our hope, our trust, our beliefs in the person of Jesus Christ. Today as we continue on in our series about the five solas, we're looking at one of the central teachings of the Christian faith. We're looking at what the old church reformers would call sola fide, or that we need faith alone. But more specifically, that while translated literally as faith alone, we're talking about the idea of being justified by faith alone. Justification is this legal term used to talk about the process by which someone is found not guilty, or they're acquitted of their crime. They are maybe found to have committed crimes, but the judge says, you know what, I am finding you not guilty. When we talk about it spiritually, we're talking about the fact that every single one of us has done wrong in the eyes of God. We've hurt ourselves and others. We've put other things as idols in front of God, and because of that, we are found guilty. We are found sinful. We are found condemned by our own standards. But when we put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross, in his death and resurrection, that when we trust in that, God says, you know what? He's paid for it all, and so I'm going to move you from death to life. I'm going to take you from guilty to not guilty. I'm going to take you from wrong to being made right with me. Faith is ultimately the channel by which we receive God's grace. If you've been following along in this sermon series, last week we talked about sola gratia, or that we are saved by God's grace alone. And if you've missed that message or the one before, I'd encourage you to go online, check it out, and, and just follow along with us as we look at these truths because they are huge for our lives. But when we looked at the idea of God's grace or the fact that he lovingly commits himself to us, even though we are undeserving, we read about how the fact that we receive that grace is by faith. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, we read this. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not by work so that no one can boast. And so there's this idea that we can't do something to receive God's love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness for us. But then there's this idea that it happens through, great, through faith. And so what is this faith? How is that not doing something? How is that not a work of our own selves towards God? And we'll see that as we look through the scripture today. And our starting point today is the first time that we see this in the Bible, this idea of someone being made right with God through faith. And it happens in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where we read this. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, this isn't the first time we see someone respond to God and do something out of following after God, but this is the first time where we see the uh, idea that we are justified with God. We are made right with God through our belief in him. And so today what we're going to look at is actually a passage found in the New Testament that expands on this understanding of what happened between Abram and God and how that applies to your life and to mine. And so if you've got a Bible, turn in it to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses. And there we're going to see this idea that it is through faith alone that we're made right with God. So as you're turning there, uh, I want you to also consider, though, why we might need this message. Why do we need to understand that it's through faith alone that we're justified? And, and what does that mean? Well, the first reason we have to understand it is, is a continuation of the message from last week, that it's not because of what you do or I do that we're able to, to earn brownie points or, or be in God's good books. Faith, instead, is this channel by which we receive God's grace. And that leads us to the second reason we need to understand this, is we need to know what we need to have faith in. I mean, a lot of people go around and say, have faith, just have faith in this, have faith in that. You know, you just got to trust me on this. But how do we know who we can trust and, and how do we know what delivers on the promise of faith? Well, Scripture tells us. It guides us in understanding this. The third thing we need to know this about is because it helps us dismantle not just this understanding that we can't earn God by our works, but it dismantles the teaching of universalism. Universalism is a faith position which has started to creep into both the, the church culture and in the non-Christian world. Universalism says that, you know what, everyone, if there is a higher power, a good God, a heaven, deserves to go there. Because that's what's right. That, we are all universally loved and accepted by God. There's books that have been written about this from people who have departed from the sound teachings of Scripture. There have been people who say, you know what, that person just deserves to go if God is love. And we, we see that, and, and, and honestly, it's pretty appealing to think that way because it seems more loving on the surface. It seems more loving to say, hey, everyone deserves love, and so everyone gets heaven. They get a relationship with God. And what Scripture actually teaches us is that absolutely God is a loving God. And when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for the sins of the world. 
But it's not that we just all receive this, but that we need, we need to do, not do something in a workspace, but we need to allow that love to be channeled into our life. We need to allow the price that's been paid to be applied to us. And so we need to have faith in Jesus in order to receive that goodness. Because not, God's not just a loving God, and he is perfectly loving. But God is also a just God and holy God. And because he is perfect and pure, because he always expects and demands what is right, there needs to be something done to deal with our sin and our brokenness. And so that's what we're looking at, and that's what we're dismantling as we understand that we are justified by faith alone. All right, so what does the Apostle Paul say to the church in Rome about Abraham and about faith. In verse 1 of chapter 4 he writes this, what then shall we say that Abraham shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh discovered in this matter. So what did Abraham realize as he went through life? Well if in fact Abraham was justified by works he had something to boast about. But not before God. So what does scripture say? Well it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David, and here he's talking about King David, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David wrote this in a psalm. He wrote, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Well, it was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as the sign, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, because Abraham is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. But he is then also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, for us, this might seem like a little bit of a weird section of Scripture. It's talking about circumcision and not being circumcised, and it's talking to Abraham and being blessed and not blessed. And so for us, this is a little bit lost because we don't typically think of those things as ways by which we are made right with God. We might think about different rules in the Bible and different regulations that we might feel imposed by the church or other things, but we don't really think about this. But what Paul is doing is he's writing to a church, the church in Rome, and he's letting them know what happened with Abraham, but also what that means for them. And so in the early church, they looked to Abraham because as Jewish Christians, they said, well, he's the model. He's the example. He's who we really see God do stuff with first, and we know that he is right with God. And so what does this mean? And then for the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, they say, well, the, the Jews are telling us that we need to be circumcised as a way of showing God that we're committed to him. But, but we don't see that. And, and Abraham is our example too. But 
he seems to have follow, followed God because of his belief in him, not because of what he did. And so Paul comes in and he clears that all up. He says, look at Abraham. It's not about what he did. It's not about the fact that he just went certain places or did certain things, but it's about the fact that he trusted in God with his life. It's about the fact that he had belief in what God said he would do. And so because of that, God made him in right standing. God saved him for a lifetime and eternity with him. And so Paul's teaching the early church and us by extension that it's our heart and the surrender of our heart, our willingness to put our trust and belief in God, that's what saves us. That's what makes us right with him. So let's look at a few observations that we can make that sort of expand on this a little bit. And the first thing is that justification is God, is God declaring a guilty sinner righteous. This is what we've already been talking about, that, that you and I, we are sinners. We are people who've put idols in front of God. We've hurt ourselves, others. We've gone against the way that God wants. And because of that, we are condemned to, to death. We've brought brokenness and sin and hurt into our lives. But God chooses to justify us when we trust in him. In verse 1 to 3, we read, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, then he would have something to boast about, but not before God. So what does Scripture say? Well, it says that Abraham believed, and it was credited to him. Abraham was wrong, but he was made right because of his belief. It's not something that he could earn. It's not something that he could do, but it was just a surrender over to God. And so that leads us to the second observation that we read about in verse 4 and 5, that the only type of people, as we just read about, that God justifies are ungodly people, and he makes them right with him. But it's also people who are surrendered, who trust and believe in him. In verse 4 and 5, it says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Not only is it that we just can't earn our way to heaven, but we actually have to give up our ways to experience the fullness of God. In verse 5 it says, To the one who does not work but trusts God. You know, so long as we keep trying to aspire to achieve what God wants, we never fully give ourselves over to him. We never fully trust in him. If you say, yeah, I trust God to save me, but I'm going to do these things over here as a backup plan, have we really trusted and believed in him? Now, I don't say that to, to make us feel condemned and guilty because, you know what, God doesn't demand perfection from us. He knows that we're people who live in a sinful world and we're people who, are, who have been hurt and we're people who struggle and we stumble along in surrendering our lives to him. But while he doesn't expect perfection, he does ask for progress. We are human after all, but that doesn't mean that there isn't examples that we can look to. It doesn't mean that there isn't work that God's already done in our lives that should reassure us. What I see here when I read the Apostle Paul is the Apostle Paul not just telling them as the Romans that they have to believe, but giving them an example. He says, look back at history. Understand what Jesus means for all of you. And that's the book of Romans is really about Jesus. But he says, I'm going to give you examples, these illustrations. I'm going to show you Abraham. I'm going to talk about what David, King David, your, your famous king is of 
the land of Israel. I'm going to use them as examples so that you can understand what this means. And then he says what it meant for them, what really made them right with God, what really stands out as being the blessing in their life is the fact that they lived with trust and belief in the God who loves them. And so this is something that we need to work on. We need to continually look back and to remind ourselves of what God has already done so that we can receive that which saves us, which is Jesus. And that's our third observation. The way in which we are saved is Jesus. It's not just by having faith. Faith is the means by which we receive the payment for our sins. When Jesus came to earth and died on the cross, when he went to the grave, he did all that, paying the penalty for the sins of the world. He died so that he could go in our place, so he could be our substitute. But as he died, while it pays for everything, while it counts for everything, while he's perfect, while he overrides everything, there still needs to be the acceptance by us of what he's done. We still, he still invites us, and he enables us to do this, but he still invites us to trust and believe in that so that with him he can bring us back to life. He can bring us from this place of death into being justified, into being made right with him. An illustration that I think about as I think about this is, is a picture of, of someone being kidnapped. Imagine you have been kidnapped because of something you'd done. Because you did something, someone grabbed you and they, they brought you far away from, from what you know and who you love and the family that you're a part of and they lock you away. They chain you up and they leave you there to die. What can you do when you're there? Nothing. I mean, really, what can any of us do? I mean, we watch movies and we get these pictures of, of what we could do, but really, what could you do if you were chained up? Nothing. You could only lie there and wait for whatever happened next, and probably you'd come to a place where you realize you will surely die. But your father, your father who loves you, who has all the means in the world to come and deal with any situation, says, you know what, I have someone. I have an operative who I can send who can come and save you. They have all the skills, the abilities, the right character, the right principles, everything. And so God sends this operative, this commando in to the field to come and rescue you. And so the commando, he fights the enemy. He battles his way to get to the dungeon in which you lie. And he breaks the chains and he pulls you out with him. And he goes running. And he goes running because there's a helicopter that's out in the field just, just beyond your view that can take you to safety. And as he carries you, he's shot. And he's shot again. And the enemy starts to get a hold of him, and so he brings you to the helicopter, and he says, in order to be safe, you got to hop in. And so you hop in. And he drags himself up and in, but then the two of you are carried off to safety. What are you going to tell your family and friends when you arrive home from that situation? When a journalist shows up, what do you say? You say, well, I'm here and I'm safe and sound because I climbed into a helicopter. I'm here safe and sound because I, you know, I, I came to safety. No, 
what you would do, what the, the press would report on is this incredible commando. They'd look and say, you know what, this individual, they are the one who saved you. It's because of what they told you to do. It's because of what they enabled you to do that you were able to receive the freedom that they brought for you on behalf of your loving Father. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, we read, So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It's our faith in Jesus. It's not our faith that saves us. Faith in and of itself is empty. It's just a means to receive promises. It's this, the means by which we go and look for what we want to receive. So faith in the wrong thing doesn't save you, but faith in Jesus does because he paid the price, because he's taken it all, and so we get to receive, the, we get to be on the receiving end of this tra- transaction with God, not because of something we've done, but because of everything he's done. It's trusting in the saving work of Jesus that brings you the life which you so nece- that you so need. It's necessary for you. This is the reason that, that we, even though we believe it's by God's grace alone, that it's by faith alone that we are saved. This is why we as Christians go out into the world to bring the message of Jesus. Because people need to know you can't get there on your own. There's things that you're going to be invited to put your faith into that are going to fall short because they missed the mark. They can't, they can't pay for what you need paid for. They can't deal with the big situations that you have in your life, most significantly the spiritual ones. No, you need Jesus. We got to be the messengers, the ambassadors of the good news of who Jesus is. We bring that out to people to assure them that baggage that you have, that you have to do good works, that's self-imposed and imposed by the world, but God wants to take that off of your shoulders and bring you into freedom. He wants to take you from the chains of your former life that you were brought into death with, and he wants to bring you fully to life. You don't have to do anything, you just have to receive it by putting your faith and trust in the saving work of Jesus. This is the message that our world so desperately needs. So many people right now don't know where to turn. So many people have big questions and and they just don't know where to find the right answers. Maybe even you don't know what is next. You don't know what you should trust and what you should put your faith in. Well, I would encourage you to look to Jesus. Read God's word and counter him there. See how much God loves you. Recognize that inside, and I know you know that there is a place that you know that you are undeserving of love and grace, but know at the same time that even though it's undeserved, God lovingly commits himself to his people and enables us by just asking us, inviting us to to put our trust in him, that we might be saved to a new life, to a great life, It's not just about an eternity one day going to heaven, but about being in the presence of God, having his wisdom and guidance with us for every day from now through eternity. We need to be a people who bring this message. We need to strip away any lies and false teachings that you can be good enough or that everyone gets to go to heaven. We need to put that aside to receive the fullness of who God is, a loving God, who does everything for us, even enabling us to have the faith 
to receive what he wants. And so this morning, what I want us to end with in this time, at least, is to just stop and to just spend some time with God. If you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is your opportunity to talk to him, to say, God, I need you. God, I know I need you, and so I, but I also know that you love me and you've provided for me. I know that you've delivered on every promise you've ever given, and I know that Jesus has died for me and come back to life for me. Just talk to God and surrender that. Be thankful for it and receive what he wants for you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, you might still have a baggage and a burden that you're carrying there's situations in your life that maybe you have not fully surrendered to God in. Well, I would encourage you to look back at the example of Jesus. See what he's already done and continue to just turn to God. Like we should do every day when we wake up, we should say, God, I need you today. I trust in you today because I know you provided for every day before this. And so let's take a moment and for just a moment there will be silence and I want you to say whatever you need to say to God. And then I'll close our time in prayer. So let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your love of us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live in us to continue to guide us and be with us. God, I know in my own life there are areas where I struggle to trust you, but Lord God, would you continue to help enable me to trust you because I have seen you deliver on the most important promise. I have seen you rescue me from death to life. And so God, I pray for myself and for everyone who's a part of our church family, everybody who's watching right now. God, I pray that we would be surrendered to you, that we would trust you, that we would believe in you in all that we do. God, we thank you for your great love. As we go from thinking about your word today, would we go out into the world and live in such a way that we would bring the great news of who you are that we would help others know that the baggage they carry, that they need to be a certain way and do a certain thing and act in a certain behaviors, Lord God, would we help them to know that that does not need to be achieved in order to receive what you have for them. And God, because of the message, the, the great news of how wonderful you are, would people turn and see you, receive you, believe you, so that you would get all the glory, honor, and praise. And we pray for this and we trust that it can be accomplished because of the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.